Father, we give you praise and glory. We give you honor and adoration. We exalt your name this evening. We say, hallowed be your name. Thank you, Rock of Ages, for your grace, for your love, your mercy, and your power that is at work to will and to do your good pleasure. Be thou exalted, Adonai. Be thou exalted, ancients of days. What a faithful God we serve. Take all the glory this evening and be exalted. In Jesus' name, amen. Greetings to you, brothers and sisters, and welcome to Fresh Manor Bible Studies. Thank you all again for connecting this evening to study the Word of the Lord. Today we are going to be studying a very important topic as it relates to our intimacy. This is a month of intimacy. We are striving to become intimate with God. And so in order to help us achieve this desire for intimacy, we have to study the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the only possibility that we can have intimacy with God. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no way we can have intimacy with God. And you must understand that the Trinity has been at work from the time of creation up till now. Before Jesus Christ came on the surface, God the Father himself dealt with humanity from the time of creation all the way to the time Jesus was born. God the Father himself from heaven interacted with humanity. But when God saw that Man needed redemption. He incarnated in the form of Jesus Christ, came down on the earth to redeem man from the curse of the law. As Galatians chapter 4 verse 4 will say. And so after Jesus came, accomplished all that he came to do, leaving, he said, he was going to send us another comforter. Another comforter in the Greek is paracletus. It means someone like me, but not me, someone like me. And that person he was referring to was the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is no longer here on the earth. Who we have now is the Holy Spirit. And so if we fail to build that relationship with the Holy Spirit, then we don't have a relationship with God. But how can we have a relationship with the Holy Spirit if we don't know Him? You will realize that very little is taught about the Holy Spirit in our churches. Very little is said about the Holy Spirit. And so the more we emphasize the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the better it will be for us as we grow in our intimacy with the Lord. So in this Bible studies, we're going to be going very deep. I know that some of you took the walking in the Spirit class during a membership class. You learn about the Holy Spirit. But the content we're going to give you during this Bible studies is almost like a Bible school. As a matter of fact, this is like, I would say like 25% of what you would take if you had to go to a Bible school and you were studying pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to talk about the deity of the Holy Spirit, the personality of the Holy Spirit, the emblems of the Holy Spirit, the titles of the Holy Spirit, special works of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, the promise of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and lastly, the fruits of the Spirit. And so we're going to begin by talking about the deity of the Holy Spirit. When we talk about the deity of the Holy Spirit, we are simply talk, saying that the Holy Spirit is God. I know in some churches, like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Holy Spirit is considered God's active force. So in the beliefs of the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Holy Spirit is not a person. The Holy Spirit is a force. He's a force like electricity. He's, a, he's an energy. And so but when we consider the Holy Spirit as an energy, then we are already limited him from functioning because you can't talk to an energy. You can't relate with an energy. But when we understand that the Holy Spirit is God, the Holy Spirit is God, Himself. He's the third person in the Trinity. That is what we have. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
they all form the Godhead, or what we call the Trinity. So the Holy Spirit is not God's force. The Holy Spirit is not God's power. The Holy Spirit is not God's energy. The Holy Spirit is a person, is God, third person in the Trinity. And we're going to see in Scripture the first proof that the Holy Spirit is God, as he is called God in the Scripture. He is called God in the Scripture. You remember the encounter that Peter had with Ananias and Sapphira, and that led to their death. Peter, in response to this couple, or to, to, to Ananias, after he lied, he said in Acts chapter 5, verse 3 and 4, he said that Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land whilst it remained? Was it not, was it not thine own? And after it was so, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto man, but unto God. So you see clearly that Peter is saying that Ananias did not lie to man, but he lied to God, who is the Holy Spirit. There are many other scriptures. The reason why I'm using, I'm using the King James Version is because it's, it conveys the original meaning, because the King James Version was written it's a literal translation, meaning that it takes the exact way it was rendered in Greek and translated into English. That is what we're going to be using the King James Version for the sake of this study. The second thing the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, which proves that the Holy Spirit is God, is that He's omnipresent. The Holy Spirit is omnipresent. In Psalm 139 verse 7, He says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I go from thy presence? Making it clear that the, the Holy Spirit is everywhere. In First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, it says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bound or free, and have been all made to drink into the same Spirit. So if you are filled with the Spirit from wherever you're listening to me right now, whether you're in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, North America, and Australia, you are filled with the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is right there, and the Holy Spirit is here. So the Holy Spirit is omnipresent. Only God can be omnipresent. Then the second thing is that the Holy Spirit is omniscient, meaning that He knows everything. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10 to 11, it says, But God has revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searched all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So the Spirit of God knows all things. He knows all things. And only God has the ability to know all things. Number four is that the Holy Spirit is omnipotent, meaning He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. In Luke chapter 1, verse 35 and 37, the Bible says, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which thou shalt be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, shall also conceive a son in her old age. And this, and this is in the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. So nothing is impossible with the Holy Spirit. He's all-powerful. He's all-powerful. And only God is, is all-powerful. In Romans chapter 8, verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, notice, it was the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. And so if the Holy Spirit was part of the resurrection, it means that the Holy Spirit is all-powerful. It says, But if the Spirit of Him who raised 
Jesus from the dead lives in you. He that raised Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. By his spirit that dwelleth in you. Number five, the Holy Spirit is, he took part in creation. The Holy Spirit took part in creation. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, it says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So the Holy Spirit was right there in the beginning of creation. When the world was being created, the Holy Spirit, God said, let us, when God said us, who was he referring to when he said us? He was referring to the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit was part of creation. In Psalm 104, verse 30, he says, Thou sendest forth thy spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the earth. In Job chapter 26, verse 13, it says, By his spirit, he had garnished the heavens. His hand had formed the crooked serpent. Again, he's saying, by the spirit of God, the world was shaped. The desire we have today on the earth was made possible because of the Holy Spirit. And number six, the Holy Spirit works miracles. So he's God. He works miracles. Matthew 12, 28, it says, But if I can cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. So Jesus was able to do all the miracles that he did, and we are able to do all that we do today by the Spirit of God. By the Spirit of God. So when a man begins to say, the Holy Spirit is not, a, is not God, the Holy Spirit is an energy, then you just disqualified and disconnected yourself from the possibility of miracles. And that is why when you go to these people, among these people who claim that the Holy Spirit is God's active force or energy, you don't see miracles, you don't see healings, you don't see all these things happening because they do not acknowledge him who is able to produce all these things as God. The next is that the Holy Spirit is equal with the Father and the Son. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straight out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending on, on him like a dove, and lightening upon him. And lo, a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So you see right there, the Father spoke from heaven, the Spirit descended upon Jesus. So the Trinity again are displayed, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all equal. They are all equal. So the Holy Spirit is not, when we say the Holy Spirit is the third person in the Trinity, we're not saying he's the third vice president, as we have in companies where we have the first vice president, the second vice president, and the third vice president. It's not a rank. They are all equal in the Trinity. Again, when you read Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 to 20, when Jesus Christ was given the great commission, he said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They are all equal. They are all equal. In 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14, it says, The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with thee all. Be with thee all. So you see again that the Holy Spirit is classified with the Father's Son in the same uh, rank or the same level. They are equal. The next is the Holy Spirit is eternal. Only God is eternal. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit, offered himself with that spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. The eternal spirit. So the Holy Spirit does not die because he is eternal. He is God. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is God. So sometimes you hear some people saying, 
Or when I was going to the house, I was going to the hospital, I was going to work, something said to me, never you ever refer to the Holy Spirit as something. Once you understand that as a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit guiding you, you have the Holy Spirit directing you, when you get an instruction and you are sure that this did not come from you, you know that this is the Spirit of God. So don't refer to the Holy Spirit as something. See, the Spirit of God said to me, that is when you begin to come, you, you are conscious that the Holy Spirit is guiding you, the Holy Spirit is talking to you. And you will often know that this is not from you because sometimes you receive an idea that you know that by your intellectual level, this could not be your idea. Or by your thought pattern, this is not something you should have thought about. But suddenly, you had that information. You had that intuition. Something, you know, was coming to your mind that you knew that you, you had no control of. It is not something. It is not you. It is the Spirit of God. So once you acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is God, then you begin to see His person manifest more and more in your life. In order to understand how the Holy Spirit operates, we have to understand the personality of the Holy Spirit. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the personality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, as we said, is the third person in the Trinity. Third person, not third energy, not third force. He is a person. He has a personality as much as the Father and the Son does. Therefore, has elements that are involved within a personality. No, the only difference between us and animals is that we have a personality. Animals do not. And so one, what, what are the things that distinguishes us from other animals, other things God created? That same, some of those uh, descriptions are also seen in the Holy Spirit, which makes him a person. Number one, the Holy Spirit has a will. He has a will. In 1 Corinthians 12, 11, it says, But all this worketh that one and the same self-spirit, dividing to every man severally as he wills. As he wills. Talking about the gifts of the Spirit, he says the Holy Spirit gives us the gifts as he wills. So the Holy Spirit has a will. Number two, the Holy Spirit has a mind. Romans chapter 8 verse 27 says, He that searcheth the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He talks about the mind of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit has a mind. The Holy Spirit has a mind. Number three, the Holy Spirit speaks. The Holy Spirit speaks. Like I said, there are churches like the Church of Christ I think even the church of the, the Latter-day Saints don't believe that the Holy Spirit speaks today. They believe that the Holy Spirit speaks to us. God speaks to us through scriptures. And God stops speaking to people in the days of the apostles. So if you don't believe that the Holy Spirit speaks, you may never hear his voice. In Acts chapter 8, verse 29, the Bible said then, The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. The Spirit said to Philip, the Spirit said to Philip. So the Holy Spirit speaks. In Acts chapter 10, verse 19 and 20, he said, While Peter thought on the vision, while Peter thought on the vision, Acts, 19, Acts 10, 19 to 20, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee. Arise therefore, and get thee down, and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Holy Spirit spoke to Peter. Again, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2 and 4, he said, As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, The Holy Spirit said, Separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. And when they had fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them on their way. So, being sent forth by the Holy Spirit, departed unto Seleucia, and from thence they sailed to Cyprus. We can see clearly that the Holy Spirit speaks. So he's a person. He's a person. Number four, the Holy Spirit forbids. In other words, 
he interrupts. He opposes. When something is not going wrong, he forbids. In Acts 16, verse 6 to 7, it says, Now, when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they asked, they are said to go into Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit suffered them not. The Holy Spirit resisted them, forbid them from preaching the word in Asia for a reason. So when you understand this, there are going to be times where you're trying to do something and you sense a resistance. You sense an opposition. Everything may look good. Everything may look nice. But you sense an opposition. That is why we do not accept opportunities or go into places or, uh, or engage ourselves in things just because we see that everything is good. We do not function by sight. We do not function by opportunities. We seek the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit knows all things. He's going to know whether this business you want to do is profitable. He's going to know whether this man you're about to get yourself into a relationship with is true or fake. He's going to know whether this direction you're taking will lead you to success or failure. He knows all things. So when you begin to sense that resistance, you don't really know, but your spirit is heavy. You're trying to make a decision, but you keep feeling as if something is opposing you. That could be the Holy Spirit telling you, don't go, resisting you and trying to forbid you from taking the wrong decision. Number five, the Holy Spirit grieves. Grieves. In other words, he can be sad. He has emotions. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, And grieve not the Holy Spirit, whereby he was sealed unto the day of redemption. Don't make the Holy Spirit sad. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit because he can be grieved. And how do we grieve the Holy Spirit? When he constantly tells us something we should not do and we keep doing. He's warning you of something you should not do, you keep doing. You grieve the Holy Spirit. You make him sad. Number six, the Holy Spirit prays. The Holy Spirit prays in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Holy Spirit helped our infirmities. For when we know not what we should pray for as we ought to, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be altered. And he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. We see that the Holy Spirit prays. He prays. He's, he's a person. Number seven, the Holy Spirit teaches. He teaches. He teaches Christians. Like I said, if we develop a functional relationship with the Holy Spirit, there are things that we are going to understand that no man is able to teach us because we have the great teacher in operation in our lives. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach thee all things and bring all things to you. He shall teach thee all things. So the Holy Spirit can teach you not just Bible. He can teach you IT. He can teach you whatever you need to learn. It doesn't mean that he's going to come and start teaching you mystically. As you begin to read that subject, whatever you're trying to study, he'll begin to explain things to you. You begin to have deep understanding. And you wonder, you've never done this thing before, but how come you understand it so well? It is the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit. And the third thing we're going to talk about is the emblems of the Holy Spirit. Because sometimes when we see the Holy Spirit in the Bible, or sometimes even in our dreams or revelations, or we may not just hear the Holy Spirit, there are other emblems, other symbols that are used throughout the scriptures to represent the Holy Spirit. The first symbol which is commonly used for the Holy Spirit, even in pictures, is a dove. A dove. A dove denoting peace and purity. Before we go into the scriptures to read, I just want to highlight that the bird, the dove, is the only, I would say the only animal or, or thing God created without a bite. 
without a buyer. You know the buyer is that uh, little thing that is always like attached. If you kill an animal, for those of you who have ever slaughtered a chicken, you will go like beside uh, where the gizzard is or what you, you see like there's a black, there's a green little intestine that is that you always remove. And if that thing touches any part of the meat, it's in every animal. If that thing touches any part of the meat, that meat is damaged. You cannot eat that meat. It is that bile that gives us the ability to react, the ability to retaliate. You know, it is, it is that bile that causes us to want to react, to retaliate. But the dove doesn't have it. That is why you can never see two doves fighting. It is not in their nature to fight. It is the most peaceful animal God created. That is what the Holy Spirit is represented as a dove. Because in him, there is nothing corrupted. There is, he is pure. There is nothing evil associated or can be found in him. He is pure. He is the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 1, verse 32 to 33, it says, And John bear record, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it abode upon him. When the Holy Spirit descending, descended on Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit descended in the form of a dove. You know, I've said this before. No spirit is allowed to dwell the earth without a body. Without a body. That is why for demons to operate, they have to possess a body. They have to get into a body in order to operate. That is why God cannot do anything upon the surface of the earth without us. He needs our body. That is what the Bible says. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit cannot do anything here on the earth without a body. That is why he needs us. He needs our hands. He needs our ears. He needs our eyes. He needs our feet to be able to accomplish all that he wants to do. So when the Holy Spirit was coming upon the earth, if he, if he came in the form of a spirit, no one would have seen him because spirits are not visible. So he came in the form of a dove. Notice the Holy Spirit is not a dove, but the dove symbolizes the Holy Spirit. So when you see a dove somewhere, don't say that's the Holy Spirit. In verse 33 of John chapter 1, it says, And I knew him not, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, Upon whom thou shalt see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizeth with the Holy Ghost. The second symbol or emblem of the Holy Spirit is oil. Is oil. Sometimes, People have had experience where they are praying and then they literally see oil flowing down from their head like sweat. They feel like it's sweat, but they literally see oil. That could be the symbol of the Holy Spirit's presence in your life. And that oil denotes two things. The anointing. In Luke chapter 4, 18 and 19, it says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He had anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, he had sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Again, in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, it says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. So the oil symbolizes the anointing. The second thing it symbolizes is healing. In James chapter 14, verse 15, it says, If any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church. Let them anoint them. Let them pray over the him, anointing him with oil in the name of our Lord. And the prayer of the faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. So the oil also is an emblem of the Holy Spirit and it can symbolize the anointing. It can symbolize healing. So anytime you see oil at work, it's the presence of the Holy Spirit 
which manifests in the form of the anointing or healing. The second thing, the third thing, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, is the wind. Is the wind. Denoting the unseen power of God. The unseen power of God. In John chapter 3, verse 7 to 8, it says, Marvel not that, that I said unto you, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listed, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell where it cometh, and whither it goeth. So everyone that is born of the Spirit, so the Spirit is seen by wind. Like I've noticed sometimes in my personal walk with God, there are times where I've sent a wind blew into my room when I'm praying. You know that the doors are closed, the windows are closed. Where did this wind come from? That is the presence of the Holy Spirit. You just feel a wind blowing in your room. Blowing your room. And that kind of wind is, 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 is different because when a natural wind is blowing in your room, you can see the curtains, the blinds moving, and maybe papers. But when the wind of the Holy Spirit is blowing, as God is revealing himself to you, you will feel the wind, but nothing else in the room may be moving. The Holy Spirit is, can be seen in the form of a wind. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1 and 3, it says, But when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a rushing from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and they appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each one of them. Just like I said, a mighty wind from heaven, a mighty wind. The fourth symbol or emblem of the Holy Spirit is fire. It's fire, denoting judgment. It also talks about purifying, protection, a gift, and God's presence. In Genesis chapter 19, verse 24 to 25, it says, Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew the cities and all the plain and all the inhabitants of the cities that and that which grew upon the ground. So the Holy Spirit is also seen as a fire. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 9 and 10, it says, And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God and out of heaven and devoured them. In Numbers 26, verse 61, it says, And Nadab and Abihu died when they offered strange fire before the Lord. Fire came from God's presence and consumed them. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 7, it says, And the angels, he said, And of the angels, he said, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his ministers flames of fire? Flames of fire. In First Kings 18, 38, it says, Then the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water, that was in the trench. We can keep reading, but there are many scriptures that show that the Holy Spirit uh, is represented by fire. We also read that when God was leading Israel in, in the days that the Bible says in Exodus 13, 21, and the Lord went before them in a day, in a pillar of cloud in the day, and then at night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and by night. So God's presence was represented by night in a pillar of fire and in the day in a pillar of cloud. Which takes us to the next one. The Holy Spirit is represented in the form of a cloud. In the form of denoting the presence of God's glory. In the form of a cloud. Just like we read in Exodus 13, 21, God went with Israel in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Exodus 40, 34 to 35, then a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon and the glory of the Lord 
filled the tabernacle. So we see again that the Holy Spirit is represented by a cloud. So sometimes when you see a cloud, there are times where we've been in the church and then you suddenly just see a cloud. You see the church becomes foggy. You know that this is not a season, this is not the Hamatan season, but there, is, there seems to be a, a sense of a foggy cloud in the church. People that are spiritual understand this is representing the presence of the Holy Spirit. The next emblem of the Holy Spirit is water. Is water, which denotes life and cleansing. It denotes life and cleansing. In John chapter 7, verse 37 to 39, the Bible says, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If any man test, let him come to me and drink. He that believed on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this is spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him shall receive. For the Spirit, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we see clearly that the Holy Spirit is represented here as water. It's represented as water. And then in John chapter 17, verse 17, it says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Ephesians chapter 5, 26 and 27 says, That he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to, to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that by it it should be holy without blemish. So the Holy Spirit is seen by water, representing life and cleansing. And again, the Holy Spirit is represented by a seal, by a seal. When we talk about seal, anytime you see a government property, you see a seal, either on a building, on a car, on a uniform, you may work for the government. Anything you have the seal on is not yours. More, for the most part, when you're leaving the government, you have to return all those things because they are not your property. So we who are born again, the Bible says the Holy Spirit has sealed us for redemption. So the Holy Spirit is also represented by a seal denoting ownership. Ownership, genuineness, and transaction. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 21 and 22, it says, Now he which established us with you in Christ had anointed us is God who had also sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. He sealed us by the Spirit. Again, in 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, it says, Now he that had wrought us for the self, self same thing is God, who also had given us unto the earnest of the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 and 14 says, Whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that seal of the promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance, unto the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. And lastly, Ephesians 3 verse 13 says, and grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye were sealed unto the day of redemption. So the Holy Spirit is represented by a seal. Okay, the fourth thing we're going to talk about today is the names and titles of the Holy Spirit. The names and titles of the Holy Spirit. The first one, as we see in the scripture, is the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon 
the face of the waters. In 1 Corinthians 3, 16, it says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of, the, of God, and that of the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. The next title that the Holy Spirit is called is the Spirit of Truth. The Spirit of Truth. In John 16, verse 13 to 14, it says, How be it, when the Spirit of Truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. He shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak. And he will show you things to come. He will glorify me, and for he shall receive of me, and shall show it to you. It's called the Spirit of Truth. The third is the Holy Spirit. It's called the Comforter. The Comforter. In John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, But when the Comforter, which is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So, these titles are, are there to help us, even when we pray. You know, sometimes when you, some people pray, they call, for example, Jesus, 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 so many times in their prayers. You know, you can have different titles, especially as it refers to what you need. If you're coming to the Lord to ask for protection, you have a title to call him protection. If you're coming to the Lord, let's say you ask for provision, you can call him Jehovah Jireh. If you're asking, coming to God to ask for favor, you, you call a title that refers, for example, if you're sad, you, you need a company, you need your spirit booster, and you want to pray, you can say, Holy Spirit, my comforter. You know, that title calls for a particular intervention, a particular aspect of his glory to manifest in your life. Number four, he's called the eternal spirit. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 14 says, How much more shall the blood of Christ, whom through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? He's the eternal spirit. And number five, he's called spirit of holiness. Spirit of holiness. Romans chapter 1 verse 4. And declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. He's called the spirit of holiness. Number 6 is called the spirit of adoption. The spirit of adoption. It is by the spirit of God that we are adopted into the body of Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 14 to 16 says for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So it's called the spirit of adoption. And number six is called the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Without this, it's just called Holy Spirit. Psalms 51 verse 11 says, Cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And the last thing we're going to talk about today as we close is the special works of the Holy Spirit. What has the Holy Spirit done and what is he doing? Number one, as we said, the Holy Spirit took part in the creation. He took part in the creation. Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and 2 in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. And darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved on the face of the waters. In Psalms 104 verse 30 says, Thou sendest forth thy Spirit, they are created, and thou renewest the face of the deep. So we see again that the Holy Spirit took part in creation. Number two, the Holy Spirit inspired the scripture. Every scripture that was written, every scripture that is written is, was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, when you read the, the Catholic Bible, the Bible used by Catholics, it has more than 66 books. You will read books like the book of Susanna, the book of Tobit. You know, they have 
the book of First Maccabees, Second Maccabees, the book of uh, Judith, they have more books. And somebody will ask, why are these books in this other Bible and not in the Bible we read? Now, the early apostles, or I will call the early church fathers, when they did what is called in theology canonization, which means they went through a process to select which books were inspired by the Holy Spirit. And then they found out that 66 of the books were consistent and agreed with the entire message of every other book that was written. So there were things that you could clearly see that were not inspired. For example, if somebody started writing and said uh, the, the earth was round, then maybe in another chapter he said the earth was square. They understood that this could not be from God because God does not contradict himself. So the church fathers sat together and read all the books and, re- and selected those that were inspired and those that were not inspired. So the books that are not inspired that are found in the, in the, like in the Catholic Bible, they are called the Apocrypha. The Apocrypha books, those are books that are non-inspired books of the Bible. So if you find yourself reading such a book, you know, some people read it for the sake of information, just for the sake of history. They understand that they are not inspired. Every book that is found in the scripture and that is considered God's word was inspired by the Holy Spirit. In 2 Samuel 23, verse 2, it says, The Spirit of the Lord spoke by me, and his word was in my tongue. In Isaiah chapter 59, verse 21, it says, As for me, this is my covenant with them, saith the Lord. My spirit is upon thee, and my words which I have put in thy mouth shall not depart out of thy mouth, nor shall, nor out of thy mouth of thy seed, nor out of the mouth of thy seed seed, saith the Lord from henceforth and forever. In Jeremiah 1, 9 says, Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth and said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. So all the prophets, all the prophets that spoke, that wrote or gave prophecies that are documented, that we read in the Bible, they were all moved by the Holy Spirit. Then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15 to 16, which is a famous scripture, is, it says, And that from childhood thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine and reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So the Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. Number three, the Holy Spirit convicts of sin. He convicts of sin. That is why one of the characteristics of a spirit-filled church is not just when people speak in tongues. One of the characteristics of a church that has the Spirit of God is that when the Word of God is preached, there is conviction. People feel touched by the Word of God. John chapter 16, verse 7 to 11 says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go, if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he is come, he will reprove you, reprove the well of sin and of righteousness and of judgment and of sin because they believe not in me of righteousness because I go to the Father, and ye see me no more, of judgment because of the prince of the world. So you see that the Holy Spirit uh, plays a part in convicting men of sin. In Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Acts chapter 2, verse 22 to 23, and then verse 37, you see that again. In Acts chapter 8, verse 35 to 37, you see that again. In Acts 10.44, you see that again. And number four, it is by the Holy Spirit that we are born again. So without the Spirit of God, there's no possibility for any man on the earth to be born again. In John chapter 3, verse 3 to 6, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said unto him, 
How can a man be born while he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except the man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So without the Spirit of God, there's no possibility for us to be born again. And then, number four, number five, sorry, is the Holy Spirit that we read before, he restrains. He has a restraining influence. In Second Thessalonians chapter 6, Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, it says, And now you know that, you know what withhold it, that he might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work. Only he who now letteth the will until he be taken out of the way. So the Holy Spirit restrains. Number seven, the Holy Spirit inhabits the universal church. What does that mean? Every operation that is taking place in the world, the miracles, the healings, the deliverance, and everything we see happening around the world in the church is the work of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 to 20. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens and saints with the saints and the household of God that are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building feebly framed together, growing unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also build it together for an inhabitation of God through the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit inhabits the universal church. Whether it's a church in Africa, the church in Europe, the church in Asia, it is the Holy Spirit that is working to build the church, which is the body of Christ. So I believe that as we get to learn and know more about the Holy Spirit, it is going to strengthen our relationship with the Holy Spirit, give us more desire to become closer to the Holy Spirit, to hear His voice, to follow His leadership, and that will bring us to a place of intimacy with God. We're going to end here today by God's grace, and I hope that we're going to continue again next week to learn more about the Holy Spirit. Father, we just want to thank you for all that you've done today. We thank you for the knowledge that we've acquired. We thank you for all that you're revealing to us. We ask that, Father, as we've learned that you are a person, that your person, your personality, will become more and more revealed to us. And I will learn to relate with you, Lord, as a person, to hear your voice, to follow your direction, to be led by you. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Make yourself more and more revealed. Make yourself more and more tangible in our lives so that we can walk with you and honor you all the days of our lives. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Rock of Ages. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, brothers and sisters. I'll see you next week. Amen.